Let's pray. Father, bless this time. Open our hearts. Help us not to put up our dukes and act like we know everything. There's all kinds of things we don't know. And your word challenges what we think we know so we can be set free. Set us free so we can have joy and peace and the fruitfulness that you want us to have. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You ready to go? Okay, good. All right, Fatherhood 101. I loved being a dad. I'm still a dad, but I mean, when the, when the kids were living in my house, it was awesome. Great. I decided it was going to be, after my marriage, my number one task. Like, God challenged me on my, literally, on my honeymoon. Would you rather have some big, booming, worldwide ministry where everybody knows your name, or would you rather have a good family? I said, I'll take the good family. And I, I've never regretted that. So uh, I was like, can we do both? But anyway. <laughs> I've had a lot of fun. I mean, we get, I get to see miracles all the time. And actually, one time I was in this huge church, different story. I'm like, God, look at all this money. These people come here for one hour a week. And it's like, we got so many, you know, what, what, could, what could you do with this money, God? I just pray, you know, why can't I have all this? And God, literally, I got this thought. So would you rather have action or lots of people? Um, I said, oh, I want action. As in miracles. As in Dom's back. Right. As in as in radical lives transformed. Would you rather have that or a thousand people showing up so you can count their noses on Sunday and not even know who they are and then send them home? Okay, I'd rather have. But I was like, again, I'm like, I could be a both. But anyway, but we're still working on that one. But I do. I love what God's doing here. I love looking out at you guys and just. Yeah, all the things that God's doing. So uh, Fatherhood 101. Again, this is um, this is going to be NC-17. This is going to be uh, no kids allowed. Um, I don't think I'm going to get into a lot of nitty gritty, um, but uh, it's going to be a serious talk that. Uh... <laughs> See ya. <No. laughs> so um, Fatherhood 101, I'm going to be talking about our sexuality. And uh, we're real here. So let's see. Let's go. Let's go, computer. Not working. Boom. There we go. What the Bible teaches about sex. It teaches a lot. And God gives us the Bible so that we can rewire this computer because all of us are scrambled. We are, we are crazy as a bag of squirrels in every category until God changes our heart and starts to reteach us. Can I get an amen? amen? I mean, we're nuts. We're crazy. And so Shane's talking about his brokenness leading him into same-sex attraction. So when he told me that, I'm like, big deal. That's what, that's what um, Sierra was talking about last week. She thought all men were these monsters. And so uh, she, she thought all men were monsters. And so she, she didn't want to be with a man. And so God changed her view of what a man is. So uh, and that kind of opened her up to healing. So <clears throat> we're going to look at what the Bible says about sex. So, and it's primarily aimed at men. So men, fathers, those who are fathers or those who want to be fathers. The first reason that God gave us our sexuality is to, now these aren't in order of importance or anything. This is just biblical reasons to draw us into covenant, to draw us into covenant. In a perfect world where everybody's functioning as they should function, 
a man is supposed to look at a woman and go, wow. And a woman is supposed to look at a man and go, wow, I like that. I want to be close to that. There's some strange thing overpowering me that's drawing me to that being over there. Um, That's our sexuality. And God knew that that's how he wired us. And he wired us that way so that we would enter into covenants. Because what is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement between two parties where there's mutual understanding about what's required on this party, what's required in this party, and it's mutually beneficial. And the universe is held together by covenants. The Old Testament of the Bible is really the old covenant. It's focusing on several covenants God's made, but especially a covenant that he made with Moses on Mount Sinai. And then God makes a new covenant, and that's the New Testament. But even our relationship with God, it's held together by a covenant. So if you've not entered into that covenant with God, you're not in in a binding agreement with God. So God gave us our sexuality, so we'd enter in, a man and a woman would enter into a binding agreement with one another. And if it wasn't for our sexuality, we might be going, yeah, I'll get to that later. You know, the guy's like, hey, I really like my cars. You know, I'm Adam's like, I'm going to go work on the cars. You know, or I'm going to I really like my horses. I'm going to go I'm going to go race horses or I'm going to breed dogs. But no, our sexuality is like, no, I like women. I want a woman. You know, I want a woman. So it so seriously, that's what it is. This is embarrassing. But if we can't talk about this stuff in church. OK, I'll say this, too. If we were to look at the deepest brokenness in this room, the deepest and get to the root of it, I would guess at least 75 percent, if not more, had to do with the misuse of someone's sexuality. So it's something we got. We have to talk about Um, fatherlessness. What? Why? Why is there fatherlessness? Because people didn't usually because people didn't control this aspect and do it the way God uh, wanted it done. Um, or people misuse it in sexual abuse and brokenness, so much regret, so much shame. Um, and I'm not trying to stir up bad feelings, but it's like, we've got to hit this thing. So God wanted to draw us into covenant. Uh, where do we learn this? Let's see. Genesis 2, in the very beginning, a lot of the most foundational theological concepts you're going to find in uh, the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. But God... Uh, In Genesis chapter 2, Adam is created and he realizes that there's nobody who is a helper suitable for him. So God creates the woman, brings her to the man, and man says, yes, that's that's awesome. And uh, so God says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. Make a note of that, guys. Mom does not get to call the shots. Dad does not get to call the shots. He said, we just launched our own ship, mom and dad. So uh, if we're going to incorporate you in now, it's on our terms. A lot of guys don't do that. A lot of women don't do that. Don't call your parents about your marital troubles. You got to launch your own ship. Anyway, that's not my sermon. So he shall be joined to his wife. That's the covenant. I'm going to fulfill these obligations to you. You're going to fulfill these obligations to me. And the two shall become one flesh. That's sex. A lot of preachers are not putting the pieces together in their theology, but if you study the Apostle Paul, that's clearly how he sees this verse. There's something magical, metaphysical, almost supernatural 
about human sexuality when it takes place, either for good or for destruction. That's why it touches us so deeply. That's why it touches us so deeply in the area of shame. And again, if this is stirring stuff up, I also want you to know you can be completely healed. God wants to heal you, so I'm not trying to beat you up. Most people have gone off the rails here. But I'm just telling you what God had in mind when he created our sexuality. So you make a covenant, you become one flesh, and all kinds of good things are going to come out of this. The the healthy sexuality is what keeps you addicted to your spouse. If you're broken and, and you're not you know, and you're, it's not the way that God intended it, it's going to be this clunky thing, or if you misuse it, it's not going to work well. But I'm talking in a perfect universe how God made things to function, uh, and psychologists know this. It's addicting. And in, a, in the perfect universe, God created it. Some twisted forms of Christianity teach that it's inherently evil. They're inherently evil. That's just, that, that's a false doctrine. God created it. They were, they were having a sexual relationship before the fall. It is a good thing. So it draws people into covenant, but it also keeps them in covenant. And uh, well, we'll talk about more blessings that come from it in a minute. Jesus quotes this verse as a foundational theological verse in the book of Mark. They're asking about divorce. Jesus says, don't get divorced. He says, well, why did God allow divorce? And basically he said, because you guys are so thick-skulled, he had to allow it. That, it's called divine accommodation. He had to. It wasn't what he wanted because you guys were so obtuse and um, he had to let you make this concession for you. So, but from the beginning, uh, it says God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. The two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So it's supposed to be this binding uh, thing that occurs after after covenant. If it happens before covenant, we're going to get to that in a minute. If it happens before covenant, you're you're messing with nitroglycerin, and it's easy to justify because we all get a little crazy when our hormones get involved, and it's easy to say stupid things that we wouldn't say when our hormones weren't like clouding our vision, or when we're counseling our friend who's in sin. But suddenly, when it's tempting us, it's no longer so clear. But um, there's something, uh, you have to right time, right person, right situation, or else it has the potential to blow things all over the place. But uh, Jesus said from the beginning, it wasn't that way. God did not want anyone ever to be divorced. It was supposed to be something that accompanied a covenant, um, drew people into covenant, and kept them in covenant. What else does the Bible? Oh, so <clears throat> don't eat rocks or dirt. This is a, door, a disorder called pica. And it, okay, pica. Somebody told me it was pica just now from the crowd. And so I said, okay, they must be the pronunciation expert. Um, but pica or pica, what is it? Are you the, okay, pica. Thanks for the help, everybody. Um, but I was thinking about what, what about when our sexuality misfires? What about when our sexuality misfires? Because this is the months we're celebrating alternative lifestyles and, you know, craziness. What happens when someone's appetite misfires? There's literally, there's, there, there's a 
percentage of human beings that want to eat rocks, they want to eat dirt. They said something between 10 to 30% of children want to eat dirt, want to eat rocks. And somewhere 4% of adults want to eat dirt. Maybe there's someone in here that wants to eat dirt, wants to eat rocks. Um, the percentages sound similar to homosexuality. It used to be understood that this was a disorder, a misfire. And according to scripture, it is a misfire. And uh, it is not good for people. It is not good for their, their, their internal organs and their, their physical bodies, etc. Now, anyway, I don't care about exceptions. People are like, well, sometimes people are sensing during their pregnancy that they're lacking in zinc, so they're going to go eat river clay. Well, that's called an exception. But this guy here that's chewing on a cement wall, that's not normal. That's not good. Um, so when we misfire and that sexual desire is directed at same-sex attraction, animal attraction, you know, small child attraction. There's all kinds of crazy sexual attractions. It does not negate the fact that God originally had a purpose for it, and we're just all broken. And so if we're going to stick to the scriptures, this is a hard time to do that. Like right now, a lot of churches in town would say, I'm evil, and a lot of evangelical churches in town would be very offended at this. But um, I don't know if you've noticed that our culture is going bonkers, going crazy. And we used to think we were safe on the right, and maybe I'll offend some people. I think the right is just as crazy as the left right now. So the society's going crazy across the board. I listened to a woman at a church camp last week. My wife sent me a, a video saying that you know, basically she's implying the reason was put on the cross was because he didn't have enough automatic weapons. That's, that's the kind of stuff the right is saying. Everyone's lost their minds. I'll show you the clip. Um, so just because people are misfiring, we don't say, oh, you're strongly tempted. Let's give in. You want to dress like a woman and you're strongly tempted. Okay. Let's say you're a woman. You're strongly, you're strongly attracted to a horse. Okay, if you get enough people saying we want to marry horses like Caligula, the Roman emperor, then that's fine. We'll, we'll just give it. No, we need to understand the Bible tells us how it's supposed to be and says, no, you need to help people who are misfiring. We're all misfiring. And the goal is to become Christ-like and to get between the lines and to function the way that God created us to function. Uh, another thing, just quickly, there is just no DNA, nothing. This is all pop culture, postmodern philosophy, kind of democratic mindset mixed with postmodern amorality that is, is trying to argue for LGBT, QRS, TUV, WXYZ stuff right now. Um, there's nothing genetic about it. And, and there's a huge genetic study that was recently done where they took 500,000 people. They, and so this was one of the... The uh, researcher's conclusion, it is effectively impossible to predict an individual sexual behavior from their genome. There's nothing to it, although people play that card a lot. Just look, just do the research. But I, I just wanted to run across those two things really quick. Um, but now, why did God give us sexuality? Draw us into covenant, keep us in covenant. I want to talk about the power of this sexual act. And it is, honestly, it is, and, and I'm not talking about 
dogs or horses. It, it, it's just mechanics for animals. But for human beings, it is something that is, it's borders on the supernatural. What happens? What transpires between human beings when they, when they um, have sexual relationship? And the Bible affirms this again and again and again. But Jesus said, quoting Genesis 3, the two become one flesh. You are not supposed to mess with that. Try to separate it because something a lot more has happened than just mechanics. And you guys, you don't even have to study the Bible to know that. People that don't know God from a, you know, from a hole in the wall, they, they, don't, they don't know God from anything. They know something profound has happened to them when they enter into a sexual relationship, even if they're not going to admit it. They know that this is, this is a categorically different kind of a human experience. So what does the Bible say about it? Paul, in Ephesians 5, when he's talking about Christ's relationship to his church, he appeals to the mystery of marriage. He said, and he, again, quotes this foundational passage in Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. And he says, okay, but we're not going to talk about that mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm just using this by way of analogy. But this mystery is profound. This mystery is great. <clears throat> what else does Paul say about it? Part of what happens when you become one flesh with another human being, it doesn't matter who they are. <clears throat> you, in a sense, own them, and they own you. That's what the Bible says. Paul says, even when you sleep with a prostitute, that's why you don't mess with it. That's so, so wrong. It's so just, just mind-blowingly off the charts of anything that God ever intended for you to have casual relationship. This is one of the most powerful human experiences. So, where does the Bible affirm this? Well, Paul says this about, and again, that sexuality is not a bad thing. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, because your wife owns you and you own your wife, their body, you don't own their soul, you don't own their spirit. And if you die, that contract's over and they're free to marry somebody else. But while they're here in this material world, you literally own that person. So you have to be in covenant. Otherwise, it does things to you psychologically that are devastating. If you do, if you have right place, right time, et cetera, wonderful things happen. It creates life and it, it, it bonds couple together and it, it creates family and all kinds of wonderful things. But uh, Paul says, you're not allowed to deny your spouse um, sex because they own you and you own them. You thought, I don't like that. Well, you can, again, you can complain at the window in heaven, but this is, you know, when you get there, but this is what the Bible says. The husband has to fulfill his duty to his wife. The wife has to fulfill her duty to her husband. And in context, we're not talking about paying the bills here. Read it. The, the chapter is about sex. Uh, does not, she does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his body, but the wife does. Stop depriving each other. Because God knew that this was going to draw us into covenant and a healthy relationship and marriage keeps that covenant strong, keeps you guys together, and again, creates life and creates family and children. But you have to protect it. And you have to be on guard against Satan trying to get you to misfire, go outside the lines. 
So <clears throat> brings you into covenant, keeps you in covenant, and it is a, a mind-blowing mystery. And here's that part about the prostitute, where it says that sex basically binds you to a person and makes you one with them. Do you not know your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Meganoito, for those of you who know Greek, one of Paul's favorite, no way, Jose, uh-uh-uh, this is no, uh-uh. Meganoito, don't you know the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. See, that's, it is sex that, that binds the man and the woman together. Uh, he says, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. The immoral man sins against his own body. And again, man is used generically there. This is why the devil's having such a heyday right now in this culture. And why bodies are flying. Why there's a sea of fatherless children and shattered women and crazy men. Because he's just saying, no, sex is a recreational sport, and there's no, there's no spiritual aspect to it, and there's no mystery to it. It's just for fun, and, and, and literally, we're, we're playing with something that can either keep this world running the way God wants it to, or ravage and destroy and leave bodies all over the place. Even Christian young people right now are crazy about this. <clears throat> Why? I don't mean crazy as in that's good. I mean, crazy as in Lulu about this issue because they haven't studied it through. One of the things that, that inspired me to think this all the way through the Bible was, uh, and some of you have heard this story years ago. I regularly get calls from young guys. Will you mentor me? Will you mentor me? Will you disciple me? Will you disciple me? My wife does the same thing. A young guy said, will you mentor me? And I said, sure. And we went out and talked. And he said, okay, I have a fiance, but we have sinned in, in the area of purity. And I said, well, that has destroyed your, the possibility of a good covenant. You're going to have to put that on the altar and walk away. And I know 75% of college students right now have tuned out from this sermon, including Christian ones. Say, no way that couldn't be true. Because what happened was, wrong time, wrong person, they've just, you've destroyed that girl's ability to trust you. You've taken something from her that does not belong to you. And so now she's going to be crippled in her ability to trust you for the rest of your life. So uh, this guy's like, nah, I don't think so. So he went and gets some other pastor's opinion. And the pastor said, ah, yeah, whoever that tad guy is, he's, he's using poor exegesis and he's quoting things out of context. And the passage that I used didn't have a context. It's, it was Hebrews 13, where Paul just says, do this, do this, do this. There's no context to get the meaning out of it. It says, let marriage be held in honor by all. Let the bed be undefiled. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. No context. That's all you got. He said, well, he's a bad biblical interpreter. I'll, I'll just leave that alone. Um, so I said, okay. And he fired me. This young kid fired me. He said, I don't want you to be my disciple anymore. Why? Because you're not saying what I want you to what I want you to say, which is it's all covered by the blood and there's no consequence for our sins. Now you can be forgiven. I always use this example. There's a girl at our last church, not our last church, two churches ago, tried to kill herself, laid down on the railroad tracks. She didn't die, she lost her legs. That was stupid and sinful. She shouldn't have done it. 
Is she forgiven? Yes, absolutely. Does she get her legs back? Can she go on long walks on the beach with her husband? Can she run around and play with her kids? No, she is severely limited her potential activities, right? Same thing if you misuse this, especially as a Christian. I think there's grace for you. You know, you come into the kingdom as a new creation, but uh, you blow your limbs off in this area. Uh, don't count on getting them back. Occasionally, God will, you know, restore people's limbs and their eyesight, etc. But usually, we are left to live with the ongoing effects of our stupidity, especially after we're saved and we know better. So it says uh, uh, in this, the one who joins himself, let me see here, which one is this one? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, every other sin that a man commits, is, it's outside his body. The immoral man sins against his own body. There's something categorically different about this. So, oh, I was telling you a story about the guy who fired me. So I said to dude, he said, oh, no, I think this is just a minor little blip in the road, and we're going to get married, and it's all going to be sunshine and ponies, and you're going to be proven wrong, and you're going to feel stupid. I'm like, no, I know better than that. I said, okay, make me a deal. And, and actually, I started discipling Jason exactly the same time. I actually met Jason because of this guy. I said, if this all works out the way you hope it's going to, come back and tell me. If this blows to smithereens, come back and tell me. You promise? Yeah, I promise. It blew up within the month. He didn't come back and tell me. But I know because Susan was meeting with a young lady. You can't mess with this one. And if you're messing with it, stop now. Get between the lines. Figure out what the Bible says about it. <clears throat> so when he said I was bad at biblical interpretation, I was getting criticized by that other pastor. I went for a walk around the park, and I said, God, is my view wrong here? And so I went a walk. I walked through Scripture all the way through Genesis in my head because that's what you're supposed to be able to do. Answer your questions because you have so much Scripture in you that you can answer the questions. You don't have to call your favorite pastor or your favorite radio program or go to your favorite podcast, you know, talking head. You actually have the, the information inside you. And I walked through all the passage on, the, uh, on this, and I said, no. I'm right. And this solidified it and helped me to, to lay it out. So I'm laying out a little bit of what I found after that situation. I've seen this again and again happen. Don't mess with this. God intended it for something powerful, awesome, and good. The devil wants you to go off the rails because he wants you to blow limbs off. So you're going to be limited from experiencing the joy and the fullness that God intended you to, to experience. People don't want to hear this because the desires are so powerful. But again, we submit to the word, not to our feelings, not to our sex drives. We submit to the word and God will give us a grace by his Holy Spirit to do it. And Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the fullest abundantly. Right. So um, draw us into covenant. Keep us in covenant. Oh, to create life. Happy Father's Day. Is, is there Father's Day without this? No. So, like, we're going we're gonna to like tiptoe around this obvious, you know, not an elephant in the room, brontosaurus in the room. Like, if you're going to be a father, you got to, you know, have a sexual relationship. We'll do it God's way. But God can create 
by saying, let there be, let there be. And I, you've heard me joke before. He can sneeze and whole galaxies come into being. You know, it's like he's got all the power. We can't do that. We can't do that. But he said, I want them to be involved in the creation process with me and create the coolest thing I ever made. Isn't that, isn't that a crazy thought? We can't create much, but we can be a part of creating the coolest thing God ever made, which is us, little image bearers. That's an awesome thought. So it says God made us in his image, and I'm going to let them be a part of creation. But do it right. Do it right. Please do it right. Because you do it wrong, and, and you've got a little broken kid over here who has no clue how to live, and he ends up in prison or killing himself or whacked out on drugs because everything was done wrong time, wrong place. And yes, God gave us this power to create life. But when you don't do it God's way, you create broken little human beings that don't know what, and then they just perpetuate the issues. So he, he gave us this blessing to create life. So again, back to Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image. And again, I'm talking to the guys mostly here. So don't be offended, women. This is Father's Day. So you get Mother's Day. This is Father's Day. Let us make man in our image. And again, that's mankind. How do I know that? Because he says men and women here in a minute. According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created him male and female. So again, it's mankind. He created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So he gives us this ability to create. He gives us this ability to be fathers. His most intimate title is father. It's not creator. It's not sustainer. It's not judge. His most intimate title is father. So why did he give us this? So he'd bring us into covenant so he could sustain covenant, but so we could create life and have the joy of experiencing some of the joy that God has and being a father to all. What else do we got here? Oh, to fulfill our created purpose. And again, I'm speaking to the men. What uh, someone once asked Jesus, you know, basically, how do I inherit eternal life? He said, how do you read the law, et cetera? How do you summarize it all? I said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So all of us, whether you're a man or a woman, um, you're created to love. Men generally love in different ways than women because they're different sorts of creatures. How does a man love? How does a father love? How does a, you love by serving by seeking the good of the people around you. How does that happen for a man? You protect. Usually, husband and wife are laid in bed. There's a noise downstairs, right? Susan, could you go check that out? I mean, I outweigh her by 100 pounds. And, you know, men are just, they protect, they provide. Women nurture. Uh, just as a rule, it doesn't mean you can't ever cross over in one, the other, but it, just as a rule, watch a show on Discovery Channel. The hunting group is going out to, you know, kill the great apes and the men are home, you know, making tamales and the women are out. No, no, it's the men are out because they've, they're providing, they're protecting. And they're, and, and the, the scripture even says the, the father's supposed to teach, you're supposed to guide, you set the course for the family. Um, 
And, and again, I'm not going to go into all that, but that's how you love. And so use your sexuality, right? As God intended, after covenant, don't listen to the crazy world. Just look at the world and say, do you want to be like them? Do you want to be going to a psychotherapist? Do you want to be on Prozac? Do you want to have depression? Do you want to be crippled by anxiety? No, I want the fullness of life. I want peace that passes understanding. I want joy unspeakable and full of glory. Those are all the promises that we're supposed to have when we, when we rein it in and start thinking like God wants us to think. So it's so that we can create our, uh, fulfill our created purpose. Now, there's other ways I, I do this as a pastor. You can do this as an employer. You can do this as a friend. You can do this spiritually. You become a spiritual father. But this is just men are wired for this. We, we get a lot of satisfaction out of guiding, providing, and protecting. Because that's the way we're wired. So God says, hey, if you do this right, use your sexuality right, right I'm going to, as a rule, I'm going to give you a little, you know, what, pack, herd, whatever, little group, all these different, all the different animals have different names. You know what a bunch of rhinos is called? A crash. So, you know, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of crows is called? A murder. Wow. You guys are good. Okay. Kind of weird. But anyway, God says, hey, I'll give you a bunch of little, little people that you can serve in this way. And then they will call you what you guys all call me. And you get to experience the joy that I feel as I watch you reach your potential. As you're a good father, you can help these little dudes and dudettes reach their, their full potential by being what you're supposed to be. It's a beautiful system. And so why, why am I going off on sexuality? Because this is the month where we celebrate a culture gone nuts, gone crazy. And we're not going to go crazy because we have the word of God. And while everybody's saying, you know, marriage is just inherently difficult. Men and women are just going to fight. You're just going to like yell at each other and she's going to leave. And you're going to throw stuff at each other and you're going to scream until you don't your horse and et cetera. And veins are going to stick out. And there's going to be in your neck and you're going to be days where you can't. No, forget it. No, that's when you do it all wrong. Our home is going to have peace and joy and fruitfulness. And we're going to have trials and we're going to, we're going to win because we're doing it God's way. We're going to teach other people to do it God's way because he's given us your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We, we know what it's all about. We have a theology of our sexuality based on the word of God. And then we're going to help each other stay between the lines because we also have this crazy, insane part of us. The Bible calls the flesh. It's like a monster. It doesn't care about consequences. It's that you let that little sucker get behind the wheel. You guys can do anything. So get in a community where you're learning to walk in the spirit, walk according to the, to, to the, you know, the will and the word of God, and you'll be blessed. And in that community, you're also learning to keep that thing in check. Is that same-sex attraction? Is that adultery for you young single people? Is that fornication? Is that pornography? Whatever that little crazy monster wants to do, learn to keep that thing caged up, stay between the lines. I'll give you the grace to do it. Part of the grace is going to come from the body of Christ. That's going to walk with you. Help. And so in this church, we're having a lot of success. We don't have, we don't have guys getting up every, oh, I'm addicted to pornography and I'm falling to sexual morality and I'm going to prostitutes and I'm, I can't stay committed to my wife because we're all helping each other do things God's way. And we get a lot of, I'm really blessed. And yep. And since I started getting more serious about the Lord, I'm really blessed. And I had this sin, but it's really kind of Un, you know, water under the bridge is in my rearview mirror, comes up every now, now and then, but 
I'm walking in victory and I'm walking in the spirit and life's getting better and better. That's God's will. What else? Already went over that one. Foundational Genesis 1 26. God made us in his image. Uh, let's see. So what's our problem? Just sin. It's sin. That's our problem. Why is there so much misuse of human sexuality? Because it is a God-given desire that we don't want to use in the way that God intended. That's what all sin is. It's a God-given desire that we don't want to use in the way that God intended. There's all kinds of God-given desires. Rest is a God-given desire. Some of us would lay around for 15 hours a day, right? Playing video games, watching YouTube videos, playing on Twitter, and then be exhausted and go to bed for 10 hours, right? So that's 25 hours. I mean, that's more hours than you get in a day. So, but it's our, so work, work is a God-given desire, right? There's some people that work so hard, they neglect all their family. They, they may be super rich. All their kids hate them. They never, they didn't balance it out. Food is a, a God-given desire. He said he, God gave us all things to enjoy. Religions that teach that food is inherently bad, which a lot of bad forms of Christianity do, they're bad. But our sexual desire, that's a God-given desire. God says, learn to use it rightly. God knew it was fun. It is fun, right? He knew that. He came up with it. Learn to use it properly, right time, right place, to keep the covenant going, protect against all the misfires, eating those rocks, eating that, you know, the, the, the dirt, the river clay, glass, whatever, you know, Guinness Book of World Record, man, each entire 747. I mean, it's like, this is not normal. This is not good. Learn to have a healthy diet. Learn to, as God intended. And we're going to be pulled in these directions. That's why we have Christians around us. Pray with them. Confess to them. If you've fallen, have them pick you up. Because we all fall. At least that's what the Bible says. So, it's sin. What's our solution? Of course, we have to be born again. We have to say, God, forgive me. I am going to agree with your assessment of me and your opinion of the universe and how you say it all works because I'm all wrong and I've been destroying things by disagreeing with you, doing things my way. So first of all, I say, God, cleanse me, forgive me. I believe Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. Unless a man is born again, the Bible says he won't see the kingdom of heaven. I need to be born again, come into my heart, fill my life. I surrender. And then we need to renew our mind. And that's, that's the unique thing about this church. That's why we're here. We're not here to get people saved and count noses on Sunday and say, oh, we're winning because we're beating the Baptists. We had 27 more people than the Baptists. No, we're here because when people are born again, we say, you have to learn everything the Bible says about everything including sexuality. And if you do, you will win and you'll be able to pass this on to your children and you'll be able to help a lot of people around you. But it's not just about getting people into heaven. It's about teaching people to glorify God in every aspect of their life. So be born again. If you're not born again, make sure that you know you've come into that relationship with God. Part of that is surrender. Stop arguing with him and really call him Lord. If you have never really called him Lord and said so you get to call the shots on everything, um, I would challenge you. You may not be born again at all. And you're going to be one of those people in for the rude shock when they stand before Jesus. And they say, hey, we're in church. I even saw miracles. You say, I didn't know you. 
I know people who call me Lord and they mean it. So, so then we, after we do that, though, we're born again. We have to renew our minds. What happens when we misuse sex? It undermines covenant. If you have misused this area in your life and you do not find deep, profound healing, not, boy, I hope that all works itself out. It ain't going to happen. You're going to have to turn around, plow through it, work through it. Let God heal you. Even if, you, even if you're truly born again and you love God, you're going to have to look at some things, lies you believe because uh, you misused this area of your life, areas of brokenness. <clears throat> if you don't, you won't be able to have a happy marriage. You won't. It's not going to just work itself out. You're going to have to turn around, plow through it, find forgiveness, find healing, find a mentor, find people that know how to bring you through healing because they've been through it and get you back on kind of level ground so you can do this as God intended. If not, you'll just be a part of the teeming masses of people right now who have nightmare marriages or who can't even stand to young people. I just keep hearing about young Christians. They can't even go, you know, three years together. Why? Could it be? Could it be that this mystery has undermined things in a way that they didn't want to admit? Creates destructive unions. Whether that's two kids in the backseat of a car in high school or college kids drunk at a frat party or a guy going to a prostitute or a serious dating relationship with two executives on Wall Street. It doesn't matter. Or two, pa- or two people going to the ministry at seminary. Wrong time, wrong place creates destructive unions that destroy you psychologically, spiritually, cripple you up um, and cause all kinds of mayhem like fatherless children, etc. We don't want to be a part of that. We want to do things God's way so that we're part of redeeming creation and, and shining a light and showing people what God intended, that he's a good, good father with a good, good plan, et cetera. But it, it, misusing this brings all kinds of destruction into our personal lives, into our culture. And now we're just saying, hey, celebrate it. And we're watching movies. Oh, you can violate all of God's laws and then ride off into the sunset with your prince charming on his galloping steed. And they all live happily ever after. Lies. Go research the two stars on that galloping steed. They've been divorced seven times, right? They're in and out of court and they're both going to Betty Ford rehab because it's a lie. It's not true. They're playing out a script because this is what the devil's trying to tell you. But then you'll experience the same chaos. Uh, then it creates neglected lives, fatherless children, women without men to provide and take care of them so that then they're, they're uh, the only one taking care of these kids and they're in poverty. And <clears throat> interesting book a few years ago, uh, something like single parenthood in the caste system in America, where you don't have a man and a woman in covenant raising the children. It's creating a caste system as in economic disparity, educational disparity. When you stop doing it God's way, you don't even have to talk about the Bible or being born again or anything. When, when we start neglecting the way that God set it up, we're creating a caste system. These people have all the money. They have all the opportunities just because they have the team raising the kids that God intended. So it creates neglected lives. It creates poverty. It creates, you know, byproduct criminality. I had a prison Bible study one time. A bunch of people. I'm trying to think if there's as many people in this. It was big Bible study. I said, how many of you had good fathers? No, I think I said, how many of you had fathers in the home? There's one guy back in the corner. 
why, and this is just known fact, that your, your potential to become a criminal is exponentially greater without that person in your life. So creates neglected lives, corrupts God's created purpose for men, women, and children. And it leads to guilt, shame, and self-loathing. And virtually everybody in this room would say amen to that. But Christ heals it, and he can forgive us. But no matter where you are in this whole discussion, stop now, right? No matter where you are. Well, I've actually been walking in purity for 10 years. I've just been tempted. Don't, don't even take the slightest step in that direction. It's a trap. Uh, confess. Bring things down to light. If you've noticed this church, we're not going to judge you. I said, if anybody, if anybody can't take serious confession, dark stuff coming up in testimonies or people that want help, I said, there's the door. You need to go to another church where they fake it. Because anywhere where you have two human beings in a room, there's a chance that one of them at least is going to be sexually broken and needs serious help. So this is going to be the kind of place for that. Um, what else? Okay. Misusing your sexuality is like hitting yourself in the head with a hammer. Except there's nothing pleasant about that. And there is, say, say if you hit yourself in the head with a hammer, but there's like a little endorphin rush right before the hammer hits your head. Um, you could say it's like jumping off a bridge because there is an endorphin rush. It's the sudden stop at the bottom that's inconvenient for everybody. So jumping off a bridge. So it's like jumping off a bridge and you keep jumping off a bridge You're like because it's fun. Yeah, but then there's the hitting the ground part. Misusing your sexuality is inherently destructive. There's no way around it. And the Bible says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. What you sow, you will reap. You misuse this gift. You are going to be damaged. It's not God shooting lightning bolts out of his fingers. He doesn't have to shoot lightning bolts out of his fingers for a person hitting him in the head to be damaged or a person jumping off a bridge to be damaged. They're damaging themselves by the action itself. That's the way the universe is set up. So many warnings, so don't do it. This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification, abstain from sexual immorality. Know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God that no one transgressed or defraud his brother in the matter. God's not being stodgy or uptight. He created this thing to bless us. He's saying, don't misuse it. And when you misuse it, you are stealing and damaging. It's a, it's a kind of violence that you're doing to the person that you are engaging in this action with. He says, you're defrauding another person. And he said, uh, <clears throat> Uh, it says the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Now, God doesn't have to come down and thump on you. The system is going to thump you because you're, you're out of bounds. You're doing things that, that weren't supposed to happen. You're mishandling a gift, a powerful gift. Other scriptures. This is the one I quoted earlier. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. Merit, the bed is to be undefiled. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge which means there are things in the system that will thump you. God does not have to send Gabriel the archangel with an unsheathed sword. Psychological damage is going to happen. Your perception of yourself, is going, your, your inability to have a thriving marriage, your inability to function in a church and to have relationships, you're going to start hiding. You're going to 
you're going to take on shame and that's going to lead to other sins as you're going to, there's just things built into the system that when you misuse this gift, all kinds of negative consequences are going to rain down on you. And again, I know all these college kids, I don't like this guy. I'm not going to listen to him. I said, well, I'll give you my number so that in two years, when you can't stand that woman that you thought was so perfect, you can't stand that guy that you said, oh, we'll get over this. Um, come and talk to me and I'll help you try to pick up the pieces. Because this is what the Bible says. Galatians 6, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. He wasn't kidding. He, he wasn't just playing with us when he said these things. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. So to the flesh, reap corruption. But I'm covered by the blood. Well, so is the girl that got her legs taken off by that train. She's forgiven. She's going to heaven. Not going to walk. So, wow, that was abrupt ending. Okay, that's your biblical ending. It's wonderful fathers, potential fathers. There's such nonsense going on in the church right now. But the church is nuts. And the culture is nuts. And the church is nuts because the culture is nuts. And the Bible says, be transformed through the renewing of your mind. The Bible has so much to say about your sexuality. It's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. God created it. Adam and Eve were having fun in this area before sin came into the world. And God was going, I made that. You guys like it, right? That's great. You're supposed to. You're supposed to be addicted to each other. That's right. I made you like that. I wired you like that. To become the basis of covenant. Draw you together. So, Let's have a biblical, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I was going to do this biblical theology of sexuality. And so I tried to merge it with Father's Day. I hope that was helpful. If this is troubling you, don't slink out of here like there's no hope. There's everything. If you're alive, you have hope. You can be healed. You can, you can be straightened out. There's grace. There is forgiveness. Um, and we, we like to talk about it here, not because we like to talk about sin, but like, hey, let's bring it out of the light so we can deal with it, so we can get you healed up. God is good. His plan is good. He's a good father. But let's use all his gifts as fathers, especially um, to bring blessing to women, to bring, bring blessing to our children and not join the rest of the culture in undermining God's creation. So let's pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you for the way that you have created us. We pray in Jesus' name you'd help us to be wise. We wouldn't be know-it-alls, Lord God. Uh, people wouldn't think of us that way, Lord. They would just see us as very blessed. And they'd say, how do you do it? And we'd say, well, God laid it all out for us. And they'd say, well, I want that. And we could show them the way to you, not just to get into heaven, but every aspect of life, Lord, you've given us wisdom. We praise you for that. We thank you that we can have full lives, blessed lives, uh, we just pray to be glorified in us as individuals, and I pray if anybody here needs help or wisdom or encouragement, Father, that today they would receive it. So we love you. We bless you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, who rescued us. Amen. All right. That was a tough one. You probably won't be getting one of those for another year or two, but I, I do think it's important that we lay out kind of the, a theology of that. Also, a cool thing is I don't have to preach about money here because you guys are serious disciples, but those kind of things we do just want to lay out an overarching picture um, of those issues. So, all right. Thanks for coming. And I hope you're going to stick around for 